From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. George Freund is standing by with some important information pertaining to the terrorist attacks that took place back on December the 2nd in San Bernardino, California, that left 14 dead and dozens injured. And you may ask, why are we talking about it now? Why still? Uh, Because there is a growing list of inconsistencies in that case, oddities uh, that relate to the worst act of terrorism in the United States since 9-11, And quite frankly, they are not uh, getting the attention, these oddities, these inconsistencies, not getting the attention that they uh, deserve in the mainstream media. And that's why this program exists, uh, to cover uh, those things that tend to get glossed over uh, by others. Uh, And here's the other thing, the painful truth, I'm afraid. Uh, It pains me to to say this uh, at Christmas, a time of uh, joy and peace and family, but we have to be honest. Uh, the events that took place on the 2nd of December in San Bernardino, it's going to happen again. It's going to happen again somewhere in uh, the United States or Canada, uh, more than once, perhaps. We are now, I think we have to come to terms with this, not pleasant to say, but it is the stark reality. Uh, and nobody seems to want to just come out and say it, so I will. Western civilization is at war with radical jihadis, with radical Islam. Not talking about the vast majority of Muslims who are peace-loving. I am talking about radical, fundamentalist Islam. We are at war. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the better. The better we will be able to defend ourselves and prepare ourselves. All right, um... On to brighter things. Uh, two gentlemen who are with me in studio every week, Ian Robertson and Albert Vinzel, they do a wonderful job. And gentlemen, I just want to well wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas, a healthy, joyous, prosperous New Year. And thank you uh, for everything that you both do all year long. Uh, please visit the website, strangeplanet.ca. Don't forget to register there. It's fast. It's free. It's easy. And once you're a member... You have access to the past show archives and a whole lot more. And once you've landed on strangeplanet.ca, just click on the page for the Conspiracy Show radio program. And up at the top of that page, you'll see the slide carousel where Albert and I have posted our usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits, fascinating news stories. Uh, There's a great uh, story or a great video there, series of videos from remote viewer pioneer Hal Putoff. Uh, speaking about his role in Project Stargate. And in the wake of the Paris Climate Change Summit, zengardner.com has posted an article titled Anatomy of a Hoax, Let's Talk About Climate Change. And that's for those of you like me who do not subscribe to anthropogenic global warming. Uh, and just in time for Christmas, a nice little piece on the Slavic origins of a character known as Grandfather Frost who bears a great deal of resemblance to Father Christmas or Santa Claus. And finally, there's also a notice up on the slide carousel that the TV program, The Conspiracy Show, all three seasons, now available to our American viewers on Hulu and Amazon.com. All right, those are the appies and the eggnog. Now it's time to tuck into the main entree and talk turkey. 
George Freund is a researcher and writer, independent investigator, and the host of a wildly popular podcast called The Conspiracy Cafe. He joins us on the program from time to time to discuss major news events like the missing Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, irregularities in Canada's recent federal election, and much more. Hey, George, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, my friend. Merry Christmas. How are you? Oh, very good, thank you, and Merry Christmas to you, too. Well, uh, before we get rolling, and lots to discuss, obviously, uh, let's uh, let people in on uh, your podcast, Conspiracy Cafe, how they, how they can find it, when they can listen to it, and so forth. Well, you just have to Google me online, uh, go after my name, or Conspiracy Cafe, it's all over the place. And uh, there's just a hyphen between Conspiracy and Cafe, because I think it was the Russian mob had one without the hyphen, and they wanted a fortune to it. <laughs> you something. don't want to cross them. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, we we took the cheap way out. All right. And when do you when do you record or, or produce these well, podcasts? I record on an ad hoc basis. Uh, you know, it's usually once or twice a week as the news flies because I got to work for a living. And uh, you know, we uh, put uh, an advance notice up on the website, and we post news all the time on the website so that you're kept informed of uh, you know whatever disasters are on the way or whatever solutions we think we have to the problems of the chaos that's uh, set upon the world. And, uh, you know, it's well worth uh, coming in to have a look because these things aren't well reported, especially any information that uh, officially uh, goes against the official version is frequently flushed down the toilet very quickly and no one gets to know what happened. And uh, we fall like mandarins. And it just surprises me how obvious things can be that people are almost robotic in their response that uh, they heard it on mainstream media and they follow along even if they defy laws of gravity or whatever else. I believe psychologists call this a phenomena normal biasy. Uh, and that is, you know, we, we deny that something is terribly wrong. Uh, and, and, and that is in part why I think, unfortunately, people will sit around almost waiting for their turn to be executed when we have these mass shootings. It's just... Uh, a, some sort of a strange psychological effect, and they, I, I think they call it normal biasy. But um, before we get ro- uh, be, before we get into North Korea and, and other matters, uh, I just want to commend you uh, because you've been uh, coming on this program for a few years, but I've known uh, of your work before that, and you were a, um, sort of a regular caller to some of my other programs over the years. And um, I'm a, I'm, I consider myself first and foremost a broadcaster. Uh, but you're really on the front lines because you're a researcher. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you talk about that appears on your website and that's in the, the, the podcast, Conspiracy Cafe, this is your own legwork, really, isn't it? Yes, mine's there as well as other pertinent uh, facts and information that uh, may come from alternative sources or mainstream media, but just something that... Uh, for, for whatever reason, just doesn't get popular, and I don't understand why. One news thing that I found last night was there's supposed to be uh, a giant comet passing by Earth uh, around Christmas time, and they said uh, in the British press it would come so close that they were worried it could cause an earthquake. Well, I think, wow, man, <laughs> that sounds important almost. You know, that, uh, that right, could be right. a life-changing or species-ending event. Why isn't it uh, on the morning news when I wake up? And why do you suppose that is? Uh, a lot of it is they're selling mass marketing advertising, and they got to appeal to uh, you know the broad niche, and they're not interested in listening to things like that. They're interesting into the classic old town crier, all is well. 
So you have to say all is well, and if you don't have a variation of that, uh, you're just not going to get the listenership that you're going to get. So if you have like a stupid story that's really fun and popular, like something you might see on YouTube or everybody just crams in and they, you know, somebody did a gaffe or something stupid and, uh, and you know, millions of people will watch that, you tell them that, uh, you know, there's going to be a major issue in the stock market and banks may close and they're not the slightest bit interested. And I wonder, well, what planet do you live on? You know, you need money to eat, you need a job, you need a functional economy. Why don't you find this interesting and important? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's just like one of the mysteries of, uh, of life, really. How long have you been doing this? Well, it started, uh, you know, quite some time ago. Of, of, you know, people were trying to teach me about the world, and I was young and I wasn't listening. So one of them was my police supervisors ages and ages ago. There used to be a magazine out called The Plain Truth, and he was telling me about, uh, you know, basically what we would call the New World Order, and there's a pressure to make a global government. And I just thought, well, you know, you're a nice, kindly old man, but, you know, I'll pat you on the head and go my own way. And uh, But I listened to what he said. And then after a career change, I worked with a very fine Greek gentleman who uh, was on the presidential guard in Greece, and he talked the same way. And I thought, wow, what a miracle. You know, I go from one life to another life, and here's another chap. And then, uh, you know, he got me to read some books by Professor Robert O'Driscoll. And as soon as I started to read the first paragraph, the first chapter of, uh, you know, the New World Order and uh, uh, his trilogy of books, it was just instantly, you know, you see a pattern here where someone's trying to take control of the planet Earth. And there's no mistake about it. Information's controlled. History is controlled. Lies are perpetrated. And when truths arise, they're just somehow shuffled off into the back like they never existed in the first place. And I realized we're against uh, a very large adversary who's trying to control how we think and how we act to circumstances. And if we don't do something, we're going to go down the drain. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just say, well, you're, you know, you're only one person, you can't do anything. And I go, well, I'm only one person and I try to do everything I can, anywhere I can. The door opens, the window opens, you fly through it and you, and you do something because it just may be enough. You never know who's listening, you never know who's hearing and what influence they may have down the road. I always, uh, you know, appeal to, you know, maybe someone who's in the military and has their finger near a certain button that if an order comes one day and you don't think it's right or proper, that you don't push that button and uh, save the human race from some uh, oblivion. And uh, you know, I was really surprised once when I did a show on MH370. It got to be one of the most popular recordings I've ever done. And, uh, you know, just we should just point out, excuse me, George, we were referring to the, the missing Malaysian uh, airliner that went down and still, well, <laughs> some, they claim they, they found it off the coast of, of um, uh, Madagascar in, in um, southeast uh, Africa, although I think there's still a lot of questions about whether, in fact, that was the wreckage, and I know you were on top of that. Yes, I thought it was a fake operation. The Australian Navy happened to be in the area the week before, for some strange reason, shaking hands in all these islands. And they did some amphibious landing uh, training for their special forces people. Could have very easily planted evidence. But uh, where I was really surprised is I thought the thing went to Diego Garcia right off the bat because it's the only airport that you could have secrecy that could handle the plane. And there were witnesses in the island chain north of that that saw the plane. That They've never seen a jet plane like that before. And they're still interviewing these uh, very credible witnesses. And Diego Garcia is a joint U.S.-British uh, uh, installation, I, I believe. And they claim, and I found this to be incredible. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this report, George, but they claim that they had on that particular day 
they had their radar uh, shut down for maintenance. I mean, what super secret installation uh, would just shut down their radar? Yeah, they, they have backup systems for everything in the military. It's the 21st century. If it was, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, okay, maybe because odds are nobody can come around and get you. But this is the space age, the missile age. There, there's no, uh, you can't do that. But uh, I ended up getting a cluster of listeners uh, to that show from Diego Garcia. Is that right? It just shocked me. <laughs> Here's this little tiny island in the middle of the Indian Ocean. They're going over my material. And they were coming back regularly to look at other things. And then they disappeared. And then I found that uh, it ended up they started coming from different places like Guam or you know other remote places. So maybe the, the band of brothers got broken up and transferred all over the world for looking at uh, heresy. Right. Well, you, it's, it's right. You never know who's listening. George Freund is with us from Conspiracy Cafe here on The Conspiracy Show, coming up on a break. And when we come back, we will talk about uh, North Korea and uh, uh, Kim, uh, Kim Jong-un, uh, who claims that he has a hydrogen bomb, a thermonuclear device. Now, not a, and, and these, from what I understand, are more powerful uh, pack more explosive power than even an atom bomb. Uh, this cannot be independently verified, according to intelligence officials, but we'll get the lowdown on that from George. Some interesting prophecies regarding uh, North Korea and Kim Jong-un. Um, but before we do that, just back to the Malaysian thing, and I, we just got about a minute here. What do you think happened to the, uh, the Malaysian Air, Air, Airline Flight 370? I believe it was abducted for the people on the plane because uh, there were some scientists who did some high-level patent research on some very, very space-age, super-sophisticated material, and they shared the patent with their employer, and there's a survivor's uh, clause in their contracts that the survivor wins. Well, you can't kill the corporation, but all the other patent holders disappeared with the plane, and the technology was so advanced, it, would, it was just like light years, leaps ahead of what we have now, and they were going to China, and maybe they were worried about it, or maybe they just wanted to get rid of them. But I think they were stolen, and uh, that this technology could have been so advanced that it could decide who wins a war, who loses a war, who could have mastery over the planet Earth. And I think they did uh, get rid of the plane, because uh, there were parts found at the MH17 crash site that, even though these were sister ships, there was certain anomalies that one had over the other, and one is like a window panel that was closed in over the the name of the airline. George, we got to I got to jump in here. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. You're referring, of course, to the uh, Malaysian airliner that went down in uh, in Ukraine during the uh, the Russian Ukraine uh, conflict. We'll uh, come back, George Freund, at Conspiracy Cafe here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We're back with George Freund from the Conspiracy Cafe. Again, give us a website, George. www.conspiracy-cafe.com Or, like I say, just Google my name everywhere I've been, if I've been on other people's shows or venues. or Some, some, some of my shows have been translated into other languages, Italian uh, and uh, such like that. My old show at that channel was even translated into Norwegian. And played in Norway, and truckers would play it on their CBs up in the northern Ontario uh, area. So, uh, like I say, you 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 launch the uh, the words, and people pick them up. They carry them somewhere, and you can have great influence. Uh, it's it's just phenomenal that way, and it gives us a chance to even the score, 
and hopefully stop disasters and tragedies from assuming the power that they were intended to have in the first place. All right. I want to talk uh, about Kim Jong-un, North Korea's strong man, and he is making a rather audacious claim that his country has uh, hydrogen bombs. Well, actually, he says they have both. They have atomic weapons and hydrogen bombs, and, of course, hydrogen bombs are said to be even more powerful than an atomic weapon, and intelligence uh, uh, officials in the West are saying that they can't verify this claim. What do you make of it? I don't believe him. I, I don't think he's telling the, the truth. I think it's bluff and bravado. It's kind of like a dare, come and get me. And But there's this fear card that he has so that uh, you don't react. And that's part of uh, the intelligence operations or diplomatic relations. It's a ploy and counterploy, just like playing poker. You never know when somebody's bluffing, but you don't want to take the chance of maybe uh, attacking him or taking advantage of him in case the bluff is true. So you may hesitate or pull back. So he gets the advantage of having a hydrogen bomb, even though he doesn't have one. And I don't believe he does have one. I think if he did, he would have blown it up and shown the world firsthand that I've got something that really goes boom. And uh, so I don't believe him. But uh, I was dubious at the atomic bomb claims as well, because it was a massive explosion in North Korea of a dynamite shipment that was just phenomenal. It went off on the Richter scale. So I don't know if they were faking uh, something to make it look like they had a very small nuclear weapon. But uh, they're trying to say that they have confirmed he has a few atom bombs. And uh, that may have well transpired since the first test was way back in 2006. So uh, many years have gone by. It's almost a decade. Maybe he has acquired some. But one of the uh, interesting things about North Korea is it's prophecy central from way back. And it's just my good fortune to have worked in, uh, as with a colleague, Timothy Spearman, at that channel, who uh, taught English in Korea as a professor, studies uh, the Korean history very, very well, is doing documentary programming in Korea for political and historical uh, purposes, who's very well informed on these things. And uh, he taught me of a, a Korean prophet named, uh, pardon me, just uh, choking from... Uh, my concentration there. So he, he has this uh, Korean prophet, and uh, he told us about what was going to come and what was going to happen. He's like the uh, the Korean Edgar Casey. Ah, His right. name is Gang Il Sun. And, uh, Gang you know, Il Sun. Ed- for anybody who's Korean, if I don't pronounce it right or something, you know, I'm trying to anglicize, pronounce it as best I can, and I'm not sure of all your uh, enunciation, so I may make a mistake. But uh, he predicted some amazing things. Uh, you know, he predicted the American-Japanese uh, War. He died in 1909, of course, so he never lived to get to see it. He said that there would be a pole shift, and uh, you know, that's something right up the lines of Edgar Cayce. Yes, and, and indeed, yes, he said that exact. Uh, he used that exact term, a pole shift. Yes, and the uh, lead up to this pole shift is a three-day war, and uh, this three-day war will occur. Uh, it'll be, uh, so, at the time, he didn't know anything about nuclear weapons. He just said soul will be consumed in, in fire, like totally destroyed in fire, and there'll be nothing left of the place. And then shortly thereafter, there'll be a disease that will kill Americans. It'll be a biological weapon, basically. And uh, at first, it'll stay in Korea for 68 days and kill uh, people inland. The Americans will flee and try to get away from Korea, leave the peninsula to get away from this disease, which will eventually leave the uh, peninsula and go around the world and affect the whole world. So it's a very, very uh, interesting 
bit of prophecy from this man well before we understand the technology and abilities of the era that we're living in today that right. this can happen. Did he give did he give a time frame? Did he affix a date to this to these this cataclysm? No. Basically what he's done is uh he's explaining it in a in a more bizarre uh, way is there's in his opinion a heaven and uh, there's two heavens and one of them is probably like spiritual and one is physical and when you get into uh, people who do things like a lot of the flat earth videos or such there's one that's out called under the dome where the uh, videographer says that we actually have a barrier between us and space to keep our atmosphere in and this barrier is what protects us and keeps out evil influences in the world and uh, Gang Il Son explained that uh, these heavens will be violated and uh, when they are violated it's like a, a enemy force will come in and uh, it's like a dynamic spiritual force and that's spoken about in Revelation as well uh, I believe it's uh, Revelation 9-11 actually that uh, this is going to uh, come to pass that we are going to be infiltrated uh, by this demon spirit called Abaddon and uh, it will be unleashed upon the end of the world so this great opening of heaven will uh, presage this invasion and then after that you know, I don't know if he implies that it's something that uh, God's going to do to correcting things, that there'll be a pole shift or a switch in the firmaments, that uh, you know, the world as we know it will cease to exist and a, a new heaven and a new earth will appear. And uh, so very profound thinking uh, for its day. Part of uh, the people who were in these uh, philosophies at the time you know, also uh, spoke about you know, things that we talk about still today. And the Korean the chap was... Yen Son Sang Ye Nim, ruler of the three realms, and he talked about opening the gates to the spirit world, and that by uh, they would renew the heavens and the earth and let in you know good energy and 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 good spirits to come into the earth. The only downside is uh, after that was over, uh, instead of getting this uh, profound, cooperative, decent civil society, uh, these terrible prophecies came upon us instead. So maybe uh, what really happened is they opened the door to evil as opposed to something that they thought was good, which only makes sense because evil's classic lie is it pretends to be good. And then we drop our guards, lower our barriers, and allow in something that can take advantage of us while we're helpless. George Freund is with us from the Conspiracy Cafe here on the Conspiracy Show. Richard Serrett with you as well. And um, well, you, you mentioned uh, you know opening up the heavens and allowing these negative, uh, evil, demonic influences in. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, and we haven't talked about this before, but I'm wondering if what your thoughts are on the Hadron uh, Hadron Collider and whether that might. There's been a lot of discussion that the Collider has some. Uh, double purpose, some uh, nefarious purpose, uh, uh, aside from you know trying to create black holes or discover the composition of black holes or whatever their stated purpose is, uh, that it might have in fact uh, have something more to do with opening up such a portal. What are your thoughts on that? I believe so. I think there were uh, uh, writings or uh, you know of such at the site where they uh, had sayings, I don't remember what they are uh, posted uh, in public, 
about things like that. There was also a strange anomaly, I believe, in the Netherlands where you had something that looked like a blue light uh, hitting the heavens and uh, spiraling out. So it's not like the this spiral that was in Norway or the one that was in Australia. It almost looked like the missile tail you saw going across Los Angeles. And uh, it, it flew up into the air. So uh, I believe... Uh, Maybe the Daily Mail covered it, if I'm not mistaken. It said, could UFO sighting be sign of large Hadron Collider has created a portal to another dimension? So that's another thing when I saw that picture. is uh, you know it, it, it just looks like a mushroom shape. It was green with a, a green uh, bit and then a long white tail shooting up into space. And, uh, you know, that's got to stop your heart a little bit to say, you know, hey, what's that? And the fact that it is distributed in a rather large uh, newspaper that goes around the world is followed quite extensively for uh, you know quite a, a lot of its political or uh, hard news stories and reporting, and that this is completely bypassed by you know most other media. I think you know that's almost like a heart stopper. Is you you know you wake up, you look outside your window, and you know you see the spaceship in your backyard. It's got to change how you think a little bit. One would, well, yeah, I would, I would certainly be a little rattled to say the least if I saw something like that. But again, here we are with this very strange twenty. It's not even a forty-eight hour news cycle anymore. It seems more like a, tw- a twenty-four, maybe even a twelve-hour news cycle. Things are just speeding up, and we just move on. If they were to announce tomorrow, there were, there was a you know a, a planet killer asteroid heading our way um I, i'm quite confident that the next day they'd move on to something else i don't know um they talk about some you know pop star or caitlin jenner or something who knows it, but it is a very strange very strange times we're living in all the denial and distraction is in full force to be sure oh indeed but uh you know i find that boring and uh, the quest for the truth to look at, uh, you know, secret mysteries from ages past, how they apply to today and what we can forecast for tomorrow as being like you're on the cutting edge in the pilot seat and uh, as opposed to sitting in the back in the passenger seat going wherever they take you. And uh, I'd rather fly the plane, even if I can't fly it as well as someone else, just to have the satisfaction of knowing I flew the plane and I took it to a place that no one else could take it. And I saw things, uh, you know, that no one else can hardly understand, and uh, the secrets of the universe. And that has to be stimulating uh, to a far greater extent, I think, than, uh, uh, you know, like how can that compare to sports or to popular entertainment or anything? Not that you don't like it, but it's uh, definitely not the uh, the drug of choice. Well, but but it's not, George, and I think you would agree, it's not a, an easy road to hoe. I mean, I could probably be far more successful, uh, uh, you know, doing a, an afternoon drive show at some radio station, uh, playing the hits or talking about what I call the workaday reality, the garbage strike, the provincial budget, and all of these things. Um, but once you start delving into these things that we talk about, you talk about, you, there's no going back. No. Um, but it, so it must not have been easy. It must not be easy for you either. Well, it wasn't easy, but uh, it changes your circle of friends. That's for sure, because some people can't keep up, and that's where I came up with a saying that the world moves at the speed of the predator, not the prey. And uh, the predator never asks you if you can understand or you can make sense of it. There's no remedial education or anything. It just swallows you. You're gone. And uh, so you have to train yourself to think better, faster, and try to understand things quicker when they happen. And part of it is just a simple learning process called pattern recognition. And uh, you know, when we get into many events uh, that are just international, global 
uh, change events, uh, the pattern's always the same. And I'm not the only one recognizing it now. Many other people are doing fine work, uh, picking out right away that uh, there's a patsy, there's a drill. You know, or some people just follow drills. Where's a drill going to be? And then they're just all over the town or area to say, well, where are they going? What are they doing? And reporting on it as quickly as possible so they can't pull anything off. And uh, it's just surprising when we look at some of the events that have uh, you know, been monumental very recently. Uh, it happens. You know there's a drill. They won't tell you right away. You won't hear it in the first report. But someone's going to uncover it within a day or two. Paris had drills. San Bernardino had drills. Well, we'll talk about San Bernardino. We're going to uh, take a, a time out here, George. When we come back, we will talk about some of the oddities surrounding the San Bernardino uh, mass shooting. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, George Freund, my guest from Conspiracy Cafe. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? George Freund is with us from Conspiracy Cafe. Again, uh, George, uh, how can people listen to the podcast? Oh, I've uh, got quite a, I guess why they call it, Internet Footprint Online, www.conspiracy-cafe.com. And uh, I know I was shocked uh, a little back a long time ago when I found out that sometimes I get uh, more popular than the Prime Minister's uh, thing for hits and such like that because uh, he w- that was the old Prime Minister, not the new one. Mr. Trudeau might beat me by a lion's share now because he's more popular. But the, uh, the, o- the old charmer from before uh, who just doesn't cut it anymore had a hard time sometimes keeping up because uh, he's rather dry when he speaks, I think. All right. Now, uh, let's talk about... San Bernardino, still fresh in our minds, uh, and of course we all hearken back to the original reports. Three shooters. Now many of the witnesses have come forward. Not many, a number of witnesses, three or four, I think, by last count, have come forward and said yes, there were three shooters. That's being dismissed as the uh, the fog of war, uh, where uh, eyewitness testimony in in such a cir- circumstance is considered to be. Um, unreliable, <laughs> which is interesting because we certainly rely on eyewitness testimony in a court of law. Um, but what do you make of these reports that there were three three shooters, not two? Oh, I believe them wholeheartedly. Uh, I, it's still up. I have the news clip from the local CBS station. I found it right away, and I could embed it on my website where one of the ladies who reported the uh, three shooters is being interviewed. And you know, she makes no bones about it that uh, there, there are three men there. You know, and the man's very clear. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? Oh, yes, yes, I'm sure. And she's describing him. And then at the end, the official story comes in that there's two, and they're they're male and female. And then you know, they kind of head for the edge of the stage and uh, and end the interview. But she was quite adamant that they were three. They were men. They were dressed in black. They were over six feet tall, and they were white because she could see the skin around uh, under the mask or maybe a part of the hand or something like that. But Yeah, that, that I don't know. Uh, I've heard that, too, that they were white. But that, again, they were wearing masks, they were wearing hats, they were wearing gloves. So I don't know if we can necessarily conclude that much. But the fact that they were athletic, uh, big men, over six feet, 
the female shooter in this instance uh, supposedly was about 90 pounds. How she could run around with a, an automatic uh, uh, weapon, uh, all the while texting, apparently, uh, seems to defy credulity. But um, so, well, that's another classic sign of a false flag operation: is the people who are doing it, who are just average, nondescript people, have the abilities of Superman or Superwoman. They can carry great loads, do 12 things at once. They're seen in multiple places, maybe at the same time or within a reasonable period of time. They're able to get through police lines like the Invisible Man and appear somewhere else and uh, such. So that's the classic sign that we've been uh, hoodwinked and that this is uh, a created narrative and uh, such. So that witness who was speaking was called Sally Abdel Magid, and she worked at the Inland Regional Center, and she was one of the first... uh, witnesses that CBS News interviewed on that, and even the last guy who was in uh, a press report, which is a miracle, too, because if they're stonewalling you, it's it's quite a good deal that you can get a, a press report, because usually you're just marginalized and ignored, and you stand on a street corner with a megaphone or something. But uh, he made it quite plain. He got a phone call, and he was not exactly threatened, but it pressured significantly to change his uh, his story so that it fits the party line. And, uh, you know, he refused. He said, no, this is what I saw. I saw three men, and uh, they were in black. He couldn't tell what race they were, but he saw three men. They were big guys, and they were all shooting at the same time. And that just uh, has a lot of credibility to it that this is what really happened. Because the other thing with the the female uh, part of this is, you know, these guns that uh, were the rifle guns were big guns. They were man's guns, you know. That, that was something like you'd use in the police department on the tactical unit or something like that. And, uh, you know, that, that's one of the sneaky things that uh, we can talk about who owned the, these firearms about the police department. But uh, for uh, to hold it into your shoulder and properly aim it and such like that is, is quite a trick. And the, that's something probably someone who doesn't shoot doesn't understand. But you wear it just like you'd wear uh, your shoes or your shirt. So if somebody, you know, gives her a size 18 men shirt, well, that's going to sit on her like a, like a tent. And if she's got size 12 shoes, men's size shoes, well, she's going to look like Bozo the Clown. And the same token with this rifle. It's so large and so big, it's uh, very difficult for her to port, as it's called, this rifle, because the length of pull, the length of the stock, even though they has, it has a telescoping stock, is just a little too big, and the gun is too top-heavy to lean forward and such like that. It puts enormous... Uh, pressure on you to use it properly to aim it and shoot it. The right, way and she's a very happens. diminutive woman. This She was about 90 pounds by all accounts, and probably yes. what, around maybe five five foot? Something a good wind would blow away. Right. Listen, we'll take a time out. When we come back, I want to talk about more of the uh, oddities, in, uh, including, you know, where did these weapons come from, the fact that the apartment uh, building belonging to this couple, uh, they had media crawling all over it within two days. This was a crime scene, should have been sealed, and then, of course, um... Uh, well, there are, there, there's much to discuss. The, uh, the the offices where the shooting took place were not surveilled, which seems very strange in this day and age. Uh, no video cameras. Uh, anyway, we'll discuss that and much more. George Freund, Conspiracy Cafe, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. We are back with George Freund from Conspiracy Cafe, researcher, uh, podcaster, and uh, a good friend of the program. All right, so um, we were talking about the uh, these weapons. Now it's interesting uh, that the 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 number of shots that were fired would tend to suggest that they weren't having to reload uh, constantly. In other words, these weapons um, did not have. There's a um, <clears throat> I, I think for the last 15 years in California, uh, the, the number of, uh, of bullets that you can have in the magazine has been limited to something, is it like 10? Correct. So obviously, given the number of shots that were fired off in the, in the, in the time frame that's been given, it's very unlikely that these, uh, were, these automatic rifles were, were using the restricted uh, magazines. So they, they, they were either uh, purchased illegally or before 2020, uh, the year 2000, or they were police weapons because the police do not have this restriction on the magazines. It's a bit of both. Part of the cover story is they're saying that uh, he purchased the guns because you have to transfer all guns through a federally licensed firearms uh, dealer in California as part of their gun control laws. And that dealer ended up to be a guy called Enrique Marquez. And he was a friend of the family and uh, extended family of Farouk. So this magazine is also to be permanently fixed to the gun so that it can't be removed. And so they were alleging with the cover story perhaps that uh, they had tampered with the gun and they took it, took the pin out that allows you to have it permanently fixed and modified it so it could accept magazines. But uh, that was all well and good, uh, you know, a nice diatribe until I heard a presidential candidate... Uh, I'll just uh, see if I can stop her name here. It was Carly Fiorino. Yes. So I heard her on a talking head show that uh, was cut into an Alex Jones clip. And, you know, she's talking about a reporter who found out that the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms was tracing the guns. And it was a story they were running with like you were going for the long bomb in football because the two handguns were purchased by Farouk. And then they found out that one of these rifles, first point of sale, was to the local police department, the San Bernardino Police Department. And that just, you know, you just fall apart laughing to say, there you go, how dumb can you get? You plant a police gun on a patsy. It, you just blew it. Right, right. And and Fiorino, uh, you know, wanted to pursue that, that discussion, and the, uh, the talk show host, was it MSNBC, I think? Um, yes. Just quickly changed subjects. Oh, yeah, that, that's another classic case of you got them, and uh, they use that ploy. They, if they, they'll call you a name and change topics or just change topics and as, as if that doesn't matter uh, what was said. And uh, that, that's a very pertinent piece of information. And it's not uncommon in the Obama administration because they did that Project Gunrunner where they were giving uh, you know, what would appear to be stolen guns from gun shops in Texas to the drug cartels in Mexico, hoping that they could follow their movements and their crimes because they'd know the serial numbers of these guns they gave them. And uh, those guns killed a lot of people, including a Mexican police officer, I remember she was killed, and two members of the United States Border Patrol. Yes. And their families are suing and trying to get justice for their uh, their loved ones because they were assassinated with these guns. There were fights 
in the in the BATF. And that was all orchestrated by Eric Holder, the, uh, the yeah. Attorney General. And uh, you know, one has to ask, you know, when is he going to be held account for that fiasco? Never, uh, never. Probably not on this earth. All right. So then, help me. Well, let's uh, let's uh, explore some of these other strange uh, circumstances before I ask you to try and piece this all together for us in the time that remains. Uh, and that is the apartment belonging to this couple. Uh, within two days, I think, the media were allowed access. They were crawling all over it, stomping through a crime scene. And in the videos, we saw uh, all sorts of shredded documents uh, uh, on, on the floor. Uh, I believe they may have found some passports, which sounds kind of familiar, going back to uh, 9-11 and the pristine hijacker passport found at the uh, at the uh, the foot of the World Trade Center tower. Um, very unusual. I mean, everyone, even in law enforcement down there, is scratching their heads saying, what the heck is going on? Allowing media uh, access to this apartment within two days? That, that, that should have been sealed up for two weeks or more. With the level of the crime, it's almost like a formula would determine how long that uh, unit would be sealed. So if you had just a, a relatively moderate crime, which could even include just a nondescript homicide, that the tape would be on the door, it would be sealed, no one enters this without calling the police department and breaks the seal. And uh, that could stay that way until the trial in, in, in a case. When you get it, the more severe the case, like this one, where you're talking mass murder, the fact that the room wasn't sealed and still under police guard for a significant amount of time, because even if you thought you found everything, Maybe something you found would say, oh, well, behind this false wall, there was something else, or under the floor, there was something else, or inside some other place. Well, now the scene's been contaminated, and you could never use any evidence that could come out of that place ever again. Exactly. And it, it just boggles the belief. The other thing was they said that he was throwing pipe bombs and uh, had may have been dealing in explosives or something. And when you look at these media descending into this apartment, like, uh, you know, they're going for candy at the candy store because they left the door open, uh, I find that incredulous to believe that they would take the chance to walk into a place that could be booby-trapped or contaminated with an explosive, that you could pick up something and blow yourself up. Uh, That's you know, an I excellent remember, point, an excellent point. Oh, well, I remember firsthand going to a bomb call ages and ages and ages ago and uh, with a bomb squad officer from Peel Police coming into Toronto at a local high school to look into some kid's locker who blew himself up in a bowling alley. And, uh, you know, so he was in front, I was beside him, and there was a whole bunch of uniformed cops behind us. And as we go to turn down the corridor where his locker was, all of a sudden everybody's gone. There's just the two of us left. And I'm going, hey, where did everybody go? Right, right. <laughs> because common sense kicks in and uh, you know so the the bomb squad detective goes oh don't worry you know I know what I'm doing this is okay and I go well you know you know what you're doing I believe you so it's just the two of us <laughs> so and then the shredded documents uh, you would think that they would gather them up and they would they would they would put uh, employ dozens of people trying to uh, you know to, to, to piece those back together much the same I, w I watched uh, Argo uh, the other night and they the, the, in the Iranian embassy of Took course the words out of my mouth they were they were they were uh, gluing those back together they had these Indeed. children that were carpet weavers gluing them back together to try and find out who the missing um, uh, embassy staff were you know why didn't they do that in this case they that left was, them on the floor exactly that was, that's a treasure trove you're not talking that's like you got the winning lotto numbers before the lottery it's, it's, you know, there, there's, there's the fact that you would leave it behind tells us we have a contrived uh, story, 
and uh, it doesn't really matter what uh, is in the place because it's all planted and useless anyway. This is a stage, like Shakespeare said, the world is a stage, every actor plays his part, and these are just actors doing like wrestling, you know, something we roll down on the mats and flip each other over so it's entertaining for the average person to watch who doesn't believe that this is orchestrated or contrived. Mm. A number of of, uh, law enforcement officials uh, who were looking at some of the news footage as these reporters were roaming around in the uh, the um, the apartment said strange thing no fingerprint dust anywhere to be seen correct what does that mean that means they never they, they that apartment was never properly searched and uh, and co- and the no evidence collection trail was ever put in motion there it's a stage set and it was a bad one because some of the people who work to contrive these uh, these stories are so poor even when they're making some of their videos, the holes in them. One of the other stories that goes with this is the people who are interviewed on TV, people call them crisis actors right away. But one of the main uh, criteria they have for uh, accusing them of being a crisis actor is they're laughing and smiling. And, uh, you know, if you've just seen a major traumatic event where people are killed and you're afraid for your life, like truly afraid, uh, you're not smiling and you're not laughing unless you're in a straitjacket and they're hauling you away somewhere. Well, you're not suggesting that this was this was a hoax. I mean, you believe those 14 people are dead, correct? Uh, I believe there was a primary target, and he was the uh, the ultimate uh, takeout. And I believe the uh, the hit team were the three men who went inside there to kill this guy. And uh, it's sometimes hard to find the names of the victims and all their backgrounds appropriately. But uh, it was just pay dirt one day uh, when I found. Uh, the primary target or what should be the primary target and that just changed how i looked at uh this thing completely ah can you tell can you share with us who who you believe the primary target was oh yes just let me get my uh i believe his name was barry howard and uh the big thing about him is he had a very unique position in the government and uh that's what uh, just makes it leap to the top of the page is he worked prior to his employment at, uh, you know, this San Bernardino civil government job, he worked for the Department of Homeland Security. Mm. And not just that he worked for them, he was one of their chief top researchers. And, you know, when I when I found that, I, I was just floored. I was going like, wow, th- this is the guy. Her- oh, pardon me, Harry Bowman, that's his name. And... Uh, so he worked for a center called CREATE, and that's at USC. It's the uh, Department of Homeland Security University where they do research. And they're doing, like, cutting-edge research on every project that goes on in the intelligence or spook agencies. So mostly it's uh, COINTELPRO things nationally. It can be foreign intelligence because, uh, you know, the domestic intelligence does have to know what's going on overseas. But he's right in the loop. And he was one of the founding members of this center. And then he left the farm, as uh, you may call it in the intelligence agencies, where maybe you realize, you know, I've had enough of doing this stuff. Maybe not because it's uh, a stellar thing that you can tell your mom about. And uh, he, he got out. And if he's prone to talk or to be a risk to talk and spoil operations, uh, well... Why wouldn't they just give him a heart attack? That's uh, something that happens frequently, but it is America... One of the other stories uh, I broke, uh, you know, is with a primary target for the Beltway Sniper was a woman who made something called the InfraGuard system for the FBI. 
and uh, that allowed all computers in law enforcement to be connected together and share information, willingly mm. or unwillingly. And she just happened to be one of these people who was shot. And she's going like, what a CV this woman had. Wow. That, uh, you know, you're at the top end of computer science in the FBI, and you just happen to be killed by the Beltway sniper who's turned off like a duck in a noose with a certain word mentioned exactly. on air to make him come out of his robotic killing trance. George, we are out of time. Uh, always fascinating. Uh, Merry Christmas and the best of the new year, and we will uh, talk again soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much for this. Oh, bless you, and good night. George Boyne, Conspiracy Cafe. The website here, strangeplanet.ca. Follow me on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. Say hello, and as always, follow the truth.